0: Hello, this is episode 290 and in it, I'm continuing my conversation with building surveyor Laura Turnover from Deemed to Perform Consulting. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with Laura in episode 289, be sure to do that first. This one will make a lot more sense to you once you do. You can find part one by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 289. In this episode, we jump into the detail of performance solutions. Laura helps us understand more about what they mean, what might actually trigger the need for them, how you're going to need to go about acquiring them, and who will need to be involved. Now, for anyone who's doing a custom residential project, it may be very difficult to do a fully deemed to satisfy approval process. You'll find that most, when we speak to Laura, you'll hear most projects will involve a combination of deemed-to-satisfy and performance solutions. You can find that a deemed-to-satisfy might also seriously limit your design, your material and your construction options if you insist on just doing a fully deemed-to-satisfy pathway. So understanding performance solutions is going to be really helpful for you to demystify what they are and how to shape your project and your project team so that you can accommodate them. My apologies again, you'll get a nasal version of Amelia Lee in this episode. I'm fighting a lurgy now and I was fighting a lurgy when I did this uh, interview but uh, please bear with me and I hope you do enjoy the conversation. Remember if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode plus information on the resources that we discuss you can do all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 290 that's the numbers 290. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands, and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious, and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast. The website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with, and whatever your location, your budget, or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your Reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Before we kick off part two, just let me remind you about Laura from Deem to Perform Consulting. As a registered building surveyor with the VBA, which is the Victorian Building Authority, and an accredited member of the Australian Institute of Building Surveyors, Laura possesses the necessary qualifications and expertise to deliver exceptional services. Laura's journey in the building industry began as an architectural drafter, allowing her to gain valuable insights into design principles and construction techniques. And over time, she transitioned into technical, compliance and project management roles, showcasing her proficiency in modular and offshore-procured building products. Now, with nearly two decades of experience as a relevant building surveyor, Laura is guiding Deem to Perform to become a leader in the residential construction space, becoming a key resource for designers and developers to lean on throughout the life of their projects. Let's jump into my conversation with Laura now. Deem to Perform you work with your clients, as you said, from a consultatory um, sort of point of view and you're creating performance solutions. So what does it mean? Like what does a performance solution look like? How will someone know that they need one? You know, how do they need to get themselves up? What do they need to anticipate in terms of the whole process of of going about that performance solution?
1: Sure. So I guess it's initially knowing when a performance solution may come up is part of understanding how the code operates. So generally most projects start with you start from the deem to satisfy. So the deemed to satisfy, uh, it's essentially the checkbook or the recipe book of most standard domestic construction. Uh, and if you meet those provisions, then you're deemed to have complied with those mandatory provisions, the performance provisions. Now, ideally, this would be if you're going to vary outside of those deemed to satisfy, that that's a trigger point for a performance solution. So ideally, if you don't have a consultant building surveyor who's doing preliminary checks for you, you have a designer who understands that element of the code and goes, "Hey, yeah, look, we're going to have to do a performance solution for this one because we're we're varying something from that very quite restrictive set of parameters within the code." There is another trigger that I think is probably quite misunderstood uh, by by design practitioners as well is. If the code is silent and it doesn't have a deemed to satisfy provision, you automatically, because you still need to demonstrate compliance, and this is for matters that are you know, generally regulated within uh, construction, you need to you have to do a performance solution. There's no other way around it because you don't have that uh, deemed to satisfy option to follow, so you need to do a performance solution. So they're the main trigger points. It's, most of the time it comes up as a result of varying from a DEM to satisfy, and then silence. So there are some scenarios like pool drainage. So if you're doing a pool, you will always need a performance solution because there are no DEM to satisfy ways of demonstrating compliance for pool drainage. So for pools for drainage, you need a performance solution and the code has deliberately been silent on that particular matter. So that's just one example of it. But in most cases, it'll be, you know, you're varying from that prescribed set of uh, requirements. So ideally, flag me it early on. What happens more often than not is you go through the design, get what you want, you submit it to your statutory building surveyor, certifier, they come back with a two-, three-page checklist of things that they want to see more information, things that don't comply, and that's where they'll flag that, hey, you need a performance solution. So that's where it can be. You know, it's not the ideal way to time to pick it up, but that that is most likely the time that you know, most applicants will see that they need a performance solution.
0: Okay, and so these performance solutions and that checklist that you talk about, these are on individual things, aren't they? So can we just go through perhaps some examples? Because I think some people might hear this and think, okay, well, I'm either going to go a total deem to satisfy route, or I'm going to go a performance solution route, and I'm just going to get one report. But it doesn't necessarily work like that, does it? So how how does, you know, and I can hear people going, well, I'm just actually going to game the system and I'm going to learn what all the deemed to satisfy clauses are and I'm only going to stick to those because that's going to make it the simplest pathway through. That's not necessarily possible either because you talk about those things that those um, that projects that the, the code is silent on. So, how, can you share some examples of performance solutions that you've been working with clients, particularly in custom residential renovations and new builds so that people can start to understand and see what where this this might sort of step into their project?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important that most projects will be a combination of them to satisfy and performance. We often like I said before, we often start with them to satisfy, understand those, and look, some people will go about their projects and do you know predominant, you know, predominantly deemed to satisfy, you know, if they don't have a pool or if they and if they're using deemed to satisfy cladding systems, then they can, you know, possibly do their whole project as deemed to satisfy. The concern or the, the issues that sometimes come up is you don't get the best use out of your site by doing that. You you'll get a design outcome that maybe isn't working for you, whereas a performance solution offers you that flexibility to get the best out of your site and still have a compliant design. So it's a it's a two stage process. It's much more heavily regulated than it ever was in the past. Uh, has to be done by someone who's not your relevant building, so your statutory certifier, building surveyor. Uh, and it's you've got the first stage, which is a briefing stage, and that sets out well, what it is that you want to achieve, what performance provisions you have to adhere to. So it'll be it's an it's generally it's an element of design. I'm yet to come across a, a building that is fully performance solution you know generally you know you you go with the deemed to satisfy starting point and then certain elements of design you do performance so which of the performance provisions are applicable who are the stakeholders involved so engineers owners designers the relevant building surveyor just as a as an authority um, as a stakeholder as well and how it is that you're going to demonstrate to your building surveyor that that what you're proposing complies with performance solutions so you have to have a set of acceptance criteria and a methodology so that's the first so that's the first stage it's a brief it's a methodology it's how are we going to do it not after it's already done this is this is supposed to i, I highlight the word supposed to happen before all of that happens uh and then once all the stakeholders have reviewed that happy with it then they sign, you know, they acknowledge, that they're, they're happy with it, and then you go to that next stage, which is really the, the detailed technical revisions, supporting information. If you've got any calculations, you know, verification methods that you're using, you then incorporate that into the report. So uh, there are a couple of things also just to flag on that. In some circumstances, uh, you're the statutory building surveyor. May require a certification from whoever prepared that performance solution. So in Victoria, we call it a building regulation 126 certificate of compliance. And there's only certain practitioners who can do that. So building surveyors and engineers, those, those type of design designers can't pro- provide them. There's actually prescribed people who do that. So just bear in mo- that in mind when you are preparing, you know, if you are going through a performance solution that you're, it's not a mandatory requirement for it to be certified but some building surveyors may request that. So the practitioner that you've got preparing it, you just need to be mindful. Again, I don't know about the other states how that all fits in, but in Victoria that's that's an avenue that you just need to be mindful of. Also, there are some performance solutions, particularly with um, fire engineering matters as well, that they're regulated as to who can prepare that and who's an expert in that field. So yeah look depending on the matter and then who's preparing it how it gets prepared and um, how it may be accepted on the other end from the statutory building so there are just some important hold points when you're making that decision around performance. A couple of look, going through some domestic projects probably the most common performance solutions that I see is um, varying the step down that you need to have from your slab so if you've got a slab Going to an impermeable surface, so, you know, like landscaping, uh, you need to have 150 mil step down from the finished floor level to the external surface. Or if it's a paved surface, you need 50 millimetres. Often your site parameters don't always allow you to do that to get the design that you want. So varying whether it's an absence of step down or actually building below uh, ground level, very common. Um, Flush alfrescos, they're always uh, very... um, you know, when you want to step out onto your alfresco, you don't often want to have a step down by 50 mils. Um, so doing a flush system there, which, you know, often incorporates a you know a drainage system at the opening, some hobs to lift your cladding and your your timber framework off the, the slab, very common. And probably the other more common uh, performance solution that I would see is for extensions. If you're on a house that has stumps, so you've got a subfloor system, and then you go and do a an extension that's on a slab. You've cut off a lot of the cross-flow ventilation to that existing dwelling. So setting out a performance solution to make sure that you're not going to have issues with rising dam with that original house and the subfloor there. So depending on the extent, you may increase the amount of natural ventilation available to the subfloor or you know do a mechanical inline system there so that you've got continued air change over in that system because the prescribed requirements for supplemental ventilation is that you require, the all sides need to have openings there's a di- required distances so that you're getting sufficient cross flow so the moment you've cut off one side then you need to look at going for performance
0: Wow, gotcha. Okay, I've seen. I've you know I've seen conversations in architectural Facebook groups about just what people are finding comes through as performance solutions, and it can be um to, you know different kinds of flooring. You mentioned the cladding as well as um different kinds of things. So, like how I, I want to ask a little bit more about that. But first, just so people understand how much time this takes. So you mentioned the performance design brief and and getting together all the stakeholders the statutory um, surveyor obviously also saying what they're expecting to see from it and that all being laid out, uh, you figuring out as the consultative surveyor what needs to be inputted into it and who needs to be involved and sort of setting out that method, which I can see from a risk management point of view, long-term makes sense. Like it's that thing of, you know, whenever you see a result, you don't necessarily understand what has been all the motivation and driving factors to come up with that result. So it can be easy to disagree with it. Whereas, um, and it can, can come down to just a matter of interpretation and opinion. Whereas when you get to see that, that design, that performance design brief, see the thinking and understand it in a lot more detailed way. Like I can see why that's, that actually is a really handy tool to have in the process. So you do that, and then you obviously then follow that up with any additional information that's required, as you mentioned, be it technical details, you know, data, that kind of stuff. What kind of timeframe is that sort of taking everybody to kind of like when somebody hits this in their project? How long are they having to wait to sort of then get over the hurdle of getting this performance solution sorted? To yeah, keep look moving? it
1: really it really depends on the complexity of it. So if it's something you know to do with cladding a lot of products are code like certified so that takes a lot of the um, time frame out of because it's been it's a tested material has a degree of certification you know these more stock standard ones where you're using construction methodologies that are generally accepted it's not too much of a of a blowout on project times look you might three to four weeks possibly to get, you know, when you're plugging in, you know, design. If you've got a designer who understands it too and look, they, they often will say, yeah, well, look, we don't have a step down. We're going to incorporate a hub at this point and we're going to do this. So it that tends to move quite quickly. It's where you're possibly using materials that are quite a bit out of the ordinary that may push out or you need to get stru- structural engineer quite a bit more structural engineering or if you're varying anything to do with your plumbing, they're the ones that tend to, the more stakeholders, the more inputs. And what's really important about that briefing process is making sure that, because buildings are systems, you don't want to just, even though the performance solution is for a certain part, if you are if you're just focused on that part, it can, there can be domino effects for the rest of the, the building. So having a good project team and who can see that and, you know, you've got your engineer involved and say, hey, that's not going to work. Um, so that you can keep dealing with that building as a system because you don't want to isolate parts of the system and, and have impacts on on other parts. So that's a really, it's a really useful point. And you don't want to be reverse engineering things, which is often how performance solutions in the past used to come out, like something's happened on site and, you know, and then you have to reverse engineer it, whereas this is a really deliberate act of, no, this is what's going to work for our site and this is and why. So the, the timeframes look up. If unless you're doing something really pushing the boundaries um or something that you know maybe your relevant building surveyor or certifier isn't overly familiar with um because it is you know it will take some extra time for a review uh, it's the time frame I don't think would be for most parties a real show stopper in in getting for, for most standard domestic projects uh and really it's it's that weighing up of how important is it to me in doing this for the design? You know, for a bit, you know, a few extra weeks on, you know, the approvals process or the design process, and that there may be additional costs too. But is that what I need for my dream home at the end? Is that the end result, rather than trying to cut corners on that and get the end result being something that you're just not going to be happy with? So it's it's just weighing up, and always with performance and being to satisfy. It's if you're quite budget conscious too. Look going the more deemed to satisfy route may be more appropriate for you whereas if your budget is a little bit bigger and you can you know test the boundaries in other ways and get something that you know is really what it is your dream home and what it is you want then it's a case of weighing out what your priorities are and what your values and what's important to the project. Gotcha
0: well I think Like you've you've highlighted some stuff there in terms of, I think, homeowners thinking about how they navigate this for their project. And, you know, you mentioned right up front the value of getting the consultative surveyor in during the design phase. And you can see as you start to talk about these things and you unpack the fact that this isn't, it's not a whole of project thing. It is literally that you will find that every project is a combination of, of deemed to satisfy and performance solutions. And it's really about how much, I think some sites will, as you said, you know, to maximize the, the the opportunities that the site has to create the home that you want, or if you're working with a particularly challenging house that you're, you're extending and renovating, you know, performance solution will just be necessary in order to optimize the outcome. And then in other projects, it might be because you're particularly attached to a, a specific functionality outcome or a design outcome or an aesthetic outcome or a material or product or that kind of thing. So, how how do you recommend, like I think of homeowners trying to budget for this and trying to kind of program time, you know, and schedule and think about the overall scope of the project and who they need to have on their team and how all that works. How do you sort of recommend homeowners think about this in terms of the ongoing conversations that they're having with their designer? Is it that just, okay, we just need to budget for a consultative surveyor right from the outset and and we need to know that that's going to be a team member and when we're developing design concepts, we're just going to push them across their desk as well so that we can get this advice on an ongoing basis? Or is there, uh, you know, other ways where their designer can be providing advice about, well, this may be performance in our, in our experience. This has been performance. We could do this and it's deemed to satisfy. So they're juggling sort of what that might mean so that when they have to get the performance solution done down the track at the, at the approval phase, they've got budget allowed for the, for the consultation fees at that point. What are your sort of, how are you saying, you know, you're working with people and at yeah. best working?
1: Look, it, it really depends on the complexity of the project obviously it's more straightforward the smaller the project the more likely it is that designer can can manage most of that a lot of it comes down to engaging a designer I think because the, the designers are there from the start and I think in, engaging a designer who can provide a degree of project management and someone who really under not just understands great design but also understands the codes and how they operate they're going to be the key. If you've got a simple project, getting a consultant building surveyor may not be appropriate or unless you're doing something quite know, even though it's a small project, quite innovative may not be appropriate for your budget. So having that designer who when, when you discuss with them, you know, I guess gauging you know word of mouth is always I, I find the best way of uh, finding good consultants. Um, so if you've got a designer who really understands the codes, they'll be like, hey, you're not going to, need to step downs or, hey, we're doing this. Then at that point, early in the prelim design, they, can, they can, the, their red flags are up as to where it's going to be. Then get your consultant building surveyor involved to to work through a performance solution. So I, I think having a really good design practitioner involved early on, and I think they're generally the ones who are best placed to, to do a degree of project management. To, to raise those red flags, point you in the right direction. You know, they often understand the terminology. But um, to give, I think, the homeowners just having that knowledge prior to is really important just to say, okay, I know generally, you know, what it is and how we're dealing with this and what it means to have a performance solution. Um, it's just catching the, the, really, it comes down to the, the complexity of the build and, and if you are doing something that's, you know, and large new home, you are planning on doing things a little bit differently from energy efficiency, materials, whatever it is, Um, I think getting a consultant, even if they're just doing the prelim assessment to high level to say, hey, this is going to be an issue, this is going to be an issue, then you can make some decisions with your designer early on.
0: Fantastic. Can I ask you a question that's a bit left of field, but I, I think it might illustrate some things that are helpful for people. So I find a lot of the undercover architect community, they're wanting to pursue more sustainable homes that can mean that they're using materials that aren't code marked or aren't sort of necessarily tested because they might be from smaller operators who haven't, you know, haven't had the funds to go through the code mark process or their or newer products and materials that are, you know, and they're early adopters of those products. Um, I was obviously introduced to you by Hamish White at Sanctum Homes because he said you were super helpful on the hempcrete house, which um, he's been on the podcast and talked about previously. And so you know, for those homeowners that are pursuing those sustainable outcomes or even passive house outcomes and their, you know, the new national construction code, for example, from what I understand, it it obviously is now requiring vapor permeable membranes or pliable building membranes of particular classes in particular climate zones. But the ventilated cavity is the thing that then triggers the verification method because it's not a deemed to satisfy as far as I'm aware in terms of that. How are you seeing people who are chasing high-performance buildings and and those kinds of materials like the hempcrete having to navigate this and, and, you know, what tips do you have for people that might be over and above what we've already talked about in terms of understanding what they're potentially going to need to set themselves up to understand as they navigate their project journey? Yeah,
1: look, it, it's a big one. I, I think going into the project understanding that because of, our code really is not keeping up with what's happening in the industry and what from a construction because there's obviously varying factors for setting a minimum level that you need to bear in mind and I don't think the prescribed requirements aren't keeping up with a lot of the technologies and ways that people want to pursue sustainable buildings. So it's not an, a straightforward process and it's not always an easy one and a lot of the Two is on the, sometimes on the statutory building surveyors end in maybe not ex- being exposed to a lot of the systems that are being proposed. So I think, yeah, having a design team that's experienced in each of those matters, and I think the consulting building surveyor plays an important role in those types of projects because there's going to be various factors um, that are going to require performance solutions and it's liaising and um, advocating with your authority to be able to get to that next level because we just don't have in the code structures in place that really deal with those high-performance buildings and the kind of systems that are required in order to get there and that has a lot to do with building. Material. I think building materials are probably the, the biggest one if they're not code mark certified, it really makes it quite difficult and you may need to get specialists involved when it de- when you're dealing with facades and roofing systems. So, you know, from a structural engineering point of view, manufacturers, there's a whole host of potentially additional people that you need to get involved with. So I think, you know, if you're you're really dedicated to, to really going quite far past the minimum requirements with sustainability, um, you do need to be pre- prepared for longer turnaround times, more costs from a design and consulting point of view as well.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I'm just grateful that the people who are pursuing high-performance homes, both from a professional point of view and a personal point of view, are generally very, very passionate about it and so (laughs) they're willing to kind of step into the fray of, of what it's going to take. But it is so hard. I do feel like a lot of, like, I feel like these building codes, we have been dragging this ball and chain With us, those that are working on custom projects where people are wanting to improve what they do, are seeing what's happening overseas, are understanding that Australia's climate isn't that different to lots of other locations, are wanting to build homes that are more suitable to support our health and our wellbeing and that are durable and that, you know, can sustain themselves across the climatic regions and and extremes that we have. And it's literally like, you know, this base minimum of the building codes, which is then satisfying sort of this other part of the industry is, is being and, and you know, is being dragged and even to the point where the ch- these changes have been delayed and all of that kind of stuff. Like we we are really a long way behind many other parts of the world. And there's so many people desperately trying to help us avoid, you know, leaky building syndrome and the problems that we've got. Evidence of in other locations with similar climates to ours, and so it is. It's really I, I I'm I'm very grateful for those um, both in the profession and um, homeowners who are tackling this for the first time. That just stay true to the course of what they want to do, and and decide what their values are, and and really persevere, and and pull the right team together to make it happen
1: absolutely i i i give massive kudos to those who who venture on those projects because i know how difficult and it's such an important you know building resilience climate all of that they're they're massive issues and we're just like you know even even this shift from six star to seven star full of home has been such a massive like just to try and get people to adopt it um when on the global scale you know somewhere like Melbourne in Victoria, we have a relatively mild climate and to get our buildings performing better, like it's just it's not in the, you know, sort of the predominant industry forefront and, look, it's becoming more and more because people are really understanding and having clients who are, you know, who are really pushing for it. I mean, the demand is becoming greater, so governments need to get involved more in in really trying to support those who, who are pushing Um, sustainability and building resilience and and all of those things because it's such an important issue but it's bringing up the whole industry I think it's going to be really challenging even though it's um globally you know I think we do fall short in our codes in in keeping up with with what's being done but unfortunately just it, it just takes more people being a bit louder about it and you know and then seeing like a you know the completed projects and who doesn't want to not have energy bills, you know like electricity and gas bills and live in a home that's healthy to live in like it's all these really like common sense things that when you put it that way you know oh, yeah no that is really nice and really good
0: <laughs> and isn't falling apart in 10 years after you yeah, spent several hundred thousands of dollars on it yeah right
1: or you're really suffering in you know relatively minor fluctuations in temperature we'll Getting there but yeah it's <laughs> look at those in the industry who are doing it you know we're becoming a little bit more quite a tight-knit community too and and pushing out and, you know, just chatting to people about it and getting involved with those projects, it's, it's, it's getting there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think this is the thing is that people view these codes as almost like a hammer on the head of like you must do this and it feels like this oppressive kind of regulatory thing. But this has come about because the construction industry can be like the Wild West in certain sectors yeah. and it yeah, can be exactly – right you know, we've seen so many, you know, we've seen fatalities from issues around how buildings have been put together and we've seen lots of financial damage to people's individual, you know, personal finances uh, in terms of buildings not performing the the way that they need to. And so the government's using all it kind of has is at at its, you know, fingertips at the moment, which are these regulatory codes to try and compel, you know, it knows that, like we've seen evidence of the fact that people don't do things just because it, you know, not, there are lots of parts of the industry that won't do things just because they can and they, it feels better. They have to be put into a position where it's, it's required for compliance. And so it is, it's a very blunt tool and a very blunt weapon against, you know, sort of creating uh, to, to help us create better homes, but it's, it is the tool that we've got. And I think that, from a risk management point of view, those I can see why those regulations are shifting the way that they are. And as you say, like most of the people I'm talking to, it's like it's in the right direction. It's still not enough. It's still bare minimum, you know. But it's it's it. We can see that there's hope on the horizon in terms of you know how it's sort of moving ahead. So. Now, before we wrap up, I'd love for you just to, you know, you've touched on it a, a couple of times as we've been talking, but to help homeowners understand how they find the right people to work with, you know, that that are going to understand this and be able to kind of shepherd them through quite a complex process, particularly when they might have a complex project as well, what do you recommend they should look for? They should ask about the uh, certifications, licenses, those kinds of things to really make sure that they're getting the right team around them from this point of view. Yeah, that's
1: a starting point's always, I think, word of mouth. If you've had, if you know people, you know, getting involved with online forums who have dealt with project teams, that is, generally if it's gone smoothly, it's it's a good indicator of a good project team, you know, certain individuals. So I think as a st- starting point, word of mouth referrals are always a good point. Then certainly you need to look at qualifications and registrations with certain state authorities as to what's required and then their experience. I mean, you, you need to work with a team that, in line with your ethos and values and what it is you want to achieve in the project so if it's budget you need to find you know a designer you know design team who are quite conscious of budget or if it's energy efficiency or sustainability um, people who have experience in those areas and a lot of it comes down to having a a discussion with them around it and really understanding what their align you know their ethos as designers are and whether it aligns with what you're trying to achieve so that's you know, you always have to look. You know, obviously, what's on paper, but I think also, it, that so many projects are so complex, and there's so many elements, and you know, everyone's priorities are different. So I think establishing that and finding people who are in line with that, and someone who looks at design holistically, you, you can't. go, And this is this applies to structural engineers, it applies to architects, it applies builders as well. You know, a building is not parts; it's it's a whole. It, it works as a system. So designers who understand that. And that applies to if you do get performance solutions, someone who under, understands that, and they're not going to give you something that's just looking at one part. But then there, you know, you've got domino effects in other parts of the building. And something people don't like to talk about is insurance too. So um, performance solutions, making sure you, if you, whoever you get involved to do your performance solutions, that they're appropriately insured for 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 doing that. Because as, aside from those real specialists. Areas via safety and engineering, there's not a lot of strict requirements around who can uh, prepare a performance solution. So um, just be mindful of, you know, if you've got a designer or architect pre- preparing it for you, that they're, they're sufficiently insured to, to be able to do that. And they've, and they've done it before um, because there's obviously a complex web of regulatory things that you need to navigate in addition to the technical requirements, um, and that they, you know, you're not going to get to. Submitting that to your building surveyor, your relic, you know, your statutory certifier, and, um, it gets knocked back because it, no one wants that. So yeah, just a few things. It's, and I think a lot of it comes out of just having some, some frank discussions about prior experience uh, values, um, around, um, how they deal with, how people deal with projects. And often designers will have, you know engineers that they work quite closely with so they tend to have a good web of people around them um, that share that work well with them and, and share those values and, you know if they continue to work with that often that means that projects are, are running quite well so yeah <laughs> that's probably the best indicator if you're you know smooth smooth project experience um, yeah and then getting that, that team early on is is probably the best way to initially handle it.
0: Um, are you seeing architects and designers being the ones that are going to prepare these performance solutions, or are more of them bringing in a consultative surveyor or certifier We're, as part of it? More and more are bringing in consultants
1: because the, of the additional requirement, especially now with the introduction of the brief, the, and, it, and building surveyors are required, the statutory building surveyors are requesting it too because of the requirement for the knowledge in regulation. Various parts of the building code, actually understanding performance provisions as well. So I, I think maybe in the past designers have had a bigger role in preparing it, but it's become a much more stringently regulated matter for for various for for good reasons. In that, if you're doing something something that's maybe not as tested as something the deemed to satisfy. So deemed to satisfy is you know not that it's always it's not best practice by any means. It's minimum, and I, I think that's a really clear point to make is. You can have a performance solution that is a much better solution than going down to satisfy by far. But I think, and so you're doing something that's potentially more innovative, untested, you need to have someone who understands the, the landscape there. So, yeah, and, and so that's why it's more stringently regulated. That briefing process mimics what fire engineers do. They have a brief process. So getting that structure, it's, yeah, it's it's something that certainly has gone more in the hands of consultants for, for good reason.
0: Yeah. yeah, I would think from a risk management point of view on the part of the architect or the designer, it makes sense to have a consultant do it as well because it's like, I mean, it's like when you submit a town planning application, to have a town planner who actually understands how to write the language in accordance with the the planning legislation is much more straightforward and um, and much better for a risk management point of view, the same thing with this process. I think somebody who then knows how to actually identify all the clauses, write in the similar language and understand how to kind of navigate those processes through. It's a lot for an architect or a designer to take on, I would think so.
1: And it's another person involved that understands the system. So it's not just a case of, you know, checking boxes to get it past the, you know, the, the certifier. It's really a case of building surveyors have different and, you know, other building consultants have different strengths to the designers and working together. You really just get a much better picture over what it is and how to deal with that particular matter, rather than just leaving it to a single individual. So, yeah, certainly from a risk management for from an approvals point of view, but also actually getting the best outcome to having another design um, with different skill with a different skill set is is really important.
0: Fantastic. Now we've covered a lot. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about or that uh, you know you want to mention uh, before we finish up? We could talk up? for hours about this. <laughs> 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 no,
1: nah, look, I, I think from my point of view, I think we have hit most of it on the head. I think, you know, understanding the structure of, of compliance and how the BCA operates is really just your first port, port of call of understanding whether it is it's something that you, you need to do.
0: Fantastic. Laura, thank you so much. It's just been so great. We've really dived into the detail and I know that this content's going to be super helpful for those listening. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and your wisdom. We'll pop all of the links to find Deemed to Perform in the resources. It's been really great to have you here and lovely to spend this time with you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that's it for part two of my conversation with Laura from Deem to Perform Consulting and for my whole conversation with Laura. Now, When it comes to the content that I've been sharing so far about the National Construction Code updates, we have been talking about a lot of terminology rich information. So, you know, things like verification method, performance solution, and deemed to satisfy. And I I know that like this can sound like a lot to the uninitiated. So, I really do hope that my conversation with Laura across episode 289 and 290 has been super helpful to clarify these things for you and to give you a much better understanding of the people and the processes involved. My guest that's coming in our next episode is going to be so helpful for demystifying and translating more terminology for you. I'm really excited because in episode 291, you're going to meet Jesse Clark from Pro Climber. And this is someone who... Has massive technical knowledge and industry regard as well. Jesse's really highly regarded in the industry when it comes to building science and high performance homes and what, you know, how they actually need to be built in order to manage moisture and temperature and be long lasting and healthy overall. So I am really, really excited about you hearing from Jesse. I'm so looking forward to be, him being on the podcast because I know his knowledge is going to be super helpful for you, whether you're building new or you're renovating and frankly, wherever you're located. So this is is really one for all of the Undercover Architect community. I know that this conversation with Jesse is going to be super helpful. Now, a few reminders for you before I finish up. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, you can grab a free download of it with links as well by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 290. That's the numbers 290. And if you're a like-minded industry professional who's located located anywhere in the world and you help homeowners renovate or build their homes uh, and you'd like to be able to work more closely with the Undercover Architect community members, then please check out the UA Army. It is free to join and you can find it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. And of course, if you'd like more structured help and guidance and you want to feel more confident and empowered as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey, and of course, how to create a home that you love living in, then my flagship program, Home Method, is definitely the place for you. In it, you'll join a community of amazing and super-informed homeowners that are on a similar journey to you, and it's the only place that you can access my personalised support and guidance in your project as well. You can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au or to the Undercover Architect website. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time.